Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Oh, hello, and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. It's Cindy. Hello and hello. Thank you for joining us today. I am going to introduce you to your new favorite guitarist, Yasmin Williams. She plays the type of music she'd want as a soundtrack for hiking, which is funny to think when you consider her initial inspiration for picking up the guitar. When she was in junior high, she beat the video game Guitar Hero 2 on expert level. She was clearly very good at it and thought that she would also be good at the real thing. Her musical parents agreed and she got an electric guitar in eighth grade. She dove right into learning songs by Jimi Hendrix and Nirvana, but realized that shredding was not for her. She got more interested in acoustic guitar and started watching many YouTube tutorials and began getting really good. In our conversation, Yasmin talks about transitioning from the Guitar Hero game controller to an actual guitar and how that continues to impact the way she plays the instrument. She also talks about the differences she observed in the way a male might play versus a female. Rhythm is a big part of her sound and she explains why it's so important. Her latest album, Urban Driftwood, is filled with instrumentals that express themselves lyrically without actually using lyrics. Yasmin has found her voice in songwriting and has taken on themes of COVID, the Black Lives Matter movement, and nature. I also love her reasoning for the album name Urban Driftwood. Don't sleep on this special musician who is also my new style icon. Her bright outfits are incredible. We'll take a listen to a song from Urban Driftwood. This is Through the Woods, and then we'll get to our conversation with Yasmin Williams on Basic Folk.
Yasmin Williams, thank you so much for being on Basic Folk. It's like so nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. This is this is cool. Yeah, I just oh actually I meant to tell you that I just did like a workout with like a trainer and I get to pick the music and I played your record while we were What? That's workout music? Really? How was that? I can't imagine it. It, it was great actually, like very huh. like, you know, meditate oh i mean we'll talk about the record as we get into the interview but like the first half is very like meditative that's the warm-up and then you like you know really you really get to physical fitness midway and then calm down at the end um so anyways yeah and my trainer is also a musician so she was like what is this (laughs) so good yeah so it was fun awesome i may try that yeah (laughs) do some lifting while you're listening to urban driftwood (laughs) Um, you were born in Arlington, Virginia, and you grew up in Woodbridge, Virginia, which is about 25 miles south of D.C. Yeah. And you live there still? Yeah. Uh, how have you seen your hometown impacting you and what keeps you there? Ooh, I mean, Woodbridge is okay. It's just like a suburb, pretty much. There's not too much going on. So I don't know if it's impactful (laughs) per se. Um, I go to DC a lot, which is where my dad is from. And both of my parents live there and a lot of my family lives there. So, um, that's kind of, you don't live, you don't live with your family. I live with my parents in Woodbridge. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. But, um, I go to DC kind of more because Woodbridge doesn't have that much (laughs) here. And yeah, I would say DC has been kind of impactful for my music, especially listening to go-go music and growing up with that, um, yeah it's kind of i'm thinking about about where i'm from more now than what i was thinking about when i first started playing guitar but yeah it's 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 impactful i guess what was your experience with dc growing up you know um i also read that i'm i'm from boston and i read that you might we were gonna go to berkeley but you didn't like the city um but (laughs) we would like take the train and and take the bus into boston and Mm. go to record stores and stuff but what did that look like for you in dc um dc was just mainly my dad driving me around showing me where he lived and where he grew up pretty much and visiting my family and just hearing the sounds doing that since there's always go-go music playing um, there's always, you know, out of someone's car, out of a store, out of, uh, any music. There's tons of music in D.C. from jazz to rock to whatever. So that's kind of what I remember. Um, and Virginia, where I actually lived, is a lot more low-key kind of. Uh, so I mainly just remember listening to music in my parents' car and singing with my brothers and having having fun in the house. And yeah, music was always, always on throughout my childhood. So your life is like town and country. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to hear more about go-go music, which is a genre of music from D.C., and it's my understanding it's associated with funk music. Yeah. Um, and it was a big part of your family's listening habits. Your dad had a bunch of tapes. I heard that you even played in a go-go band. I, well, I did for <laughs> in my brother's band for a year or so. Yeah, that was really fun. So go-go music is... is I didn't really like it when I was a kid, like a little kid, to be honest. My dad would always play like the super old stuff, which is just not, (laughs) I guess it just wasn't my thing. 
are more of like a Chuck Brown fan or like a Rare Essence fan or, you know, the newer groups. But yeah, my dad has a ton of tapes and a ton of CDs that he still has for whatever reason. He listened to it a ton. And I think now it's kind of impacting me since I'm thinking more about what I listened to as a kid. I don't know why, but like when I was in eighth grade and I was listening to a lot of rock music and stuff, and that's what got me into playing guitar. But now I'm kind of going back to my roots, so to speak. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Which is go-go music. Yeah, go-go, hip-hop, R&B. Smooth jazz, too, was huge. Um, All those things. I wonder how that's going to translate into your own music. I wonder, too. I have no idea. Uh (laughs) Stay tuned. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear more about your musical family. Your brothers played and sang, and Mm -hmm. your your mom played. Did your, your, did your dad play? No, he was just kind of more like a... He's just playing his like tapes. A, right, he played his tapes and his CDs <laughs> loudly. Uh, every, everyone listened to music. Um, what did it look like for you growing up, and how was music treated in your family? Um, Yeah, so we would just blast it. Um, <laughs> there wasn't really much to it. Um, and, well, in our car, we'd always... My mom or dad would play something, usually my mom. She would play like an R&B thing and we'd all have our favorites, even in different parts of the same song. We'd all have our parts to sing <laughs> or yeah, my brothers were, especially my oldest brother was a really good singer. He could mimic anybody. So that was cool. Um, and in the house, I guess we would just, again, listen to whatever, like on the stereo, whatever my parents played. We all kind of had our favorite things, but yeah, it was just whatever was on. We didn't really get mad at anything. My parents had good taste. so. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so the story of how you picked up the guitar is like pretty amazing. Like, um, You were introduced to the guitar after you beat the video game Guitar Hero 2 on expert level. Congrats. Thank um, you. You were in the eighth grade when you did that? Yeah. And I want to hear more about your relationship to video games as a kid, as like someone who did not grow up with video games. Um, What did you like about playing games? Who brought them into the house? What benefits did you get from playing? My brothers were the video game dudes. They had everything. And I would just kind of piggyback off them and just try to get into whatever they were playing. But I did eventually, I think my favorite games as a kid was definitely um, Tony Hawk, any skateboarding game any racing game, any, that was about it until Guitar Hero. And we also had Rock Band too. We played both of those. Um, But Guitar Hero was my favorite thing because of, it was just, it was fun. I mean, it was pretty difficult to be honest, but it was also, um, I learned a lot about music, different types of music that I didn't grow up with. Like I didn't grow up with rock or uh, uh, classic rock or country or any of of those things. So, learning about that through the game was pretty cool and it became some of my favorite music at that time i've heard pray tell of people discovering music through video games um (laughs) you know and that's that's an interesting thing to think about like for sure yeah the tony hawk soundtrack and guitar hero was literally my everything i listened to for like three years that's so cool So you got an electric guitar in the eighth grade after you beat Guitar Hero. Um, can you talk about like what it was like to first transition from like the Guitar Hero player controller to an electric guitar? And yeah. I know this is like silly, but can you just like explain what the Guitar Hero controller is, what it looks like and what it's like? Yeah. So basically, 
It's a guitar-shaped controller made of plastic, and it has five buttons that are different colors. I don't remember the colors. I think it's green, red, yellow, blue, and orange, I think. Um, so you would play the five buttons with your left hand, and it had like a strumming bar thing that you could strum with with your right hand. Basically, you just look at the screen on the game, and it had the different colors represented different notes, and you just try to match it up with the screen, uh, match your fingers up to the screen, which was difficult, but yeah. I think as you got further into the game, there would be like tapping sections, and like what you couldn't strum it because it was too fast, so you had to tap with both hands or one hand or whatever, and I really liked that. And I kind of translated that action of tapping, or tried to, to the guitar when I first got it. But I couldn't really do it, like, the regular way. Well, tapping's not really regular, but players like Steve Vai or uh, whoever, Paul Gilbert, they would tap really fast, the regular way, quote-unquote. And I tried to do that for a little bit, but I just couldn't do it. Um, (laughs) Until I switched to acoustic guitar and put it in my lap, and then it became a lot easier. I think that was like maybe a year into playing or a year and a half was when I made the switch. You did this podcast called Between Frets. Oh, yeah. Uh, was that last it was April? Last? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like one year ago. Uh, great podcast. Um, what's the name of the, the woman who interviewed you? Oh, no, I don't remember. <laughs> oh, well, it was fun to hear you two talk. Um, yeah, first of all, of like two, um, is she's, she black? Yeah, she is. Yeah, two black women like talking about playing guitar. Yeah, that was cool. That was the first time that I've ever had that happen. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, I encourage everyone to. I'll link it on my website if Sweet. in case people want to hear it. Um, but she brought up something that I thought was really interesting about how you didn't have an amp for your electric guitar when you first played it. So, like, what what did that look like for you in learning the electric guitar? And then she was kind of like, I think that that's helped you develop your playing and you said you'd never thought about it but I'm wondering if since then you have thought about it I thought about it after she said that because I it was really interesting to me so I didn't have an amp for months um (laughs) until my brother very kindly bought me one as a surprise um but yeah it may have been four or five months maybe from when I first got my guitar to when I first got the amp and yeah, I just, I still really, I play it every day. I love the sound of an electric guitar unplugged, actually. And I guess it did kind of translate to, well, what I think it was is it reminded me subconsciously of the smooth jazz music I liked a lot because it kind of gave me that uh, hollow body guitar sound, which is kind of a mix between acoustic guitar and electric guitar sound, like a unplugged acoustic and a plugged in electric. And yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I don't know. I should think about that more. Think about it more, and then she should interview again, and then you can talk, because I have to give her full credit for coming up with that. <laughs> Honestly, I do think that kind of made me more interested in acoustic guitar, because when I first started playing guitar, I just thought acoustic was just kind of a, a boring type of chord thing, or like something singers use to accompany themselves. Um, but playing electric guitar unamplified kind of made me think about it in a different way, which, mm. yeah. Can you talk more about that, like, switching to the acoustic guitar and, like, how your feelings changed about it? Yeah, so when I switched, I switched because I learned the song uh, Blackbird by the Beatles. I really liked the fingerstyle type stuff. 
Um, so when I made the switch, I knew that's what I wanted to get better at, but I didn't know. I also wanted to get better at the tapping stuff too, since I couldn't really like live out my shredder dreams on electric guitar. (laughs) (laughs) I did eventually want to learn how to shred, but yeah, when I switched, I really was more focused on writing my own songs than learning other people's songs. Like I was doing on electric guitar. I didn't really care about covers anymore. Um, I don't know why. I think it was mainly just because... I quickly realized that acoustic guitar gave me a lot more options. Like I could beat on the body and tap and um, strum and uh, finger pick and do all that cool stuff. So it was a lot easier for me to focus on writing my own songs, which is what I wanted to do on acoustic guitar than it was an electric guitar. So I think that's why I stuck with it. Mm. You've said that your guitar heroes include Jimi Hendrix and Elizabeth Cotton, which are like... yeah. Two very different players. Um, but yeah. Can you talk about what you like about each of their playing and how you might like work to emulate their style? I guess it boils down to they're both extremely unique players and play in their own style. And I think that's what I like to do in my playing. Um, they are very different, <laughs> obviously. Jimmy was more of an idol when I first started playing electric guitar. And Elizabeth Cotton is a more recent um, person that I've begun to admire a lot. But they pretty much they do the same thing for me. They play different in different ways, and their songs are very unique, and they just have a cool style about them. So I guess that's kind of what I'm trying to emulate with both of them. Yeah, I like that. You have spoken about what it was like for you to grow up with access to like very few black guitarists. Like yeah. you mentioned, like Jimi Hendrix, basically like being the only black guitarist that lives in the mainstream like Mm -hmm. you could go to a mall do they have malls anymore that sell like (laughs) Jimi hendrix paraphernalia that's i have two Jimi hendrix posters funnily enough that i got from a mall when i was like in ninth tenth grade (laughs) yeah that's like the bar of like you walk into a mall which musicians are you gonna find (laughs) Jimi hendrix kurt cobain jim morrison seriously yeah wow how are you able to rise to the challenge in like trailblazing your own path artistically and for your own ambition, like having like no roadmap in front of you, like how you saw that impacting your drive and talent? That's a really cool question. I think I didn't see anything because I was extremely tunnel visioned on what I wanted to do. And since I didn't know of anyone who, well, I guess I was kind of weird. So I didn't really care about (laughs) what other guitars were doing. And I just was focused on getting better at what I wanted to do and the sound I kind of heard in my head at that point, which kind of led me to have to figure out how to play various things by myself since I was playing, I was a solo player, and still am a solo player. Um, But yeah, I guess, I don't know. Trailblazing is cool. I didn't think about that. (laughs) I still don't really think about it. I just kind of, um, I have to figure out ways to play what I hear or play what I feel. And this is what I've done so far is just the ways I figured out (laughs) pretty much. Yeah, I want to hear more about like how you figure things out, like how your brain works, because it sounds like crazy. So like (laughs) this is kind of a long question. So like you said, whatever pops up into my head, I have to find a way to get it out, which has you like on the cutting edge of innovation. Like you want to use every possible limb on stage. You have a finger piano taped to your guitar. You're wearing tap shoes. You're teaching yourself West West African instruments. Um, You would find creative solutions to things um, in, in like completely innovative ways. But like 
what is your learning style like and what fuels it like perfectionism, anxiety, curiosity, like what's what's going on there? Perfectionism is a big one. I'm trying to make it not as big, but it's still pretty much there. Um, I think having control over the sounds I want to get out is big. My brain works in a weird way because I can't really describe how it works. But basically, I hear a sound. Like the Kalimba thing came about because I guess as a kid, I heard uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire was big in my house. I heard Is that everything. the finger piano? Yeah, the finger piano. Okay. And I guess when I was writing a song that was on my first album, um, Gitka, I knew I didn't want just guitar on there and I knew something else had to be there. And the only sound I was really hearing at that point was the thumb piano sound, even though at first I wasn't aware that's what it was um, until I bought one. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. Things just pop up. Also, being a solo player, I do have to kind of troubleshoot because I only have two hands. I only have two feet, so I have to kind of make it work. Um, and I just have a lot of complex ideas, I guess. <laughs> I guess mm. that's what it boils down to. a solo performer, I read um, in an article that you had trouble finding people that you could play music with. I think this was from uh, an article when you were at NYU, like people people just wouldn't know what to do with your style. But um, I ran into that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that and like where performing with others like lands with you now, if you had to like adjust your style in any way to accommodate others? Well, now I haven't had to do that, which is was great, which was, I guess I, I held out long enough to <laughs> get good enough to collab with people, <laughs> right? But when I first started playing and when I was in high school and college, yeah, it was pretty difficult to find people to play with because I guess I played too weird. Um, so people didn't know what to do. Still run into that, but I guess you're if you surround yourself with people who are just all so good and don't and don't see it as a challenge or a threat to their playing, but more as a, oh, this is cool. Why don't I, you know, hop in or, you know, something. It's a lot easier to find collaborators. Um, I definitely want to collaborate more in the future. The two that I, people I collaborated with in my latest album, that was super fun. And yeah, I definitely want to do more of that. I want to send your music to like a whole bunch of acoustic guitar players. Um, <laughs> Please and, do. Like, also, yeah, also like ask you like, so my podcast... I just interviewed, and it just came out today, Patty Larkin, who's like oh. a, a monster folk guitar player. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that she would like really love your style. And um, yeah, and she talks in the podcast about Ellen McElwain. Have you ever heard of her? No, I have not. She's a, um, I think she's from like the 60s or 70s. She's still around and playing, but like, man, she's she is crazy too. Huh. Um Cool. So there are people, but it just sounds like it takes a particular type of musician, like maybe like one, a, a person who like lacks ego or like lacks a huge ego. I mean, yeah, when I was coming up, it, it was definitely, I ran into more of male players who didn't really want to play with me because they, well, I don't really know why, but I guess it was just because they <laughs> were intimidated or, or something. I don't know. But now mm. it, it's it's becoming easier to find people to play with that are, you know, better, a lot better than me at what they do, which is, is, is great. Yeah. I wanted to ask you 
about being a female artist, there are not many like female artists who are known as acoustic guitar virtuosos. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you have studied acoustic guitar music through like watching, you know, millions of YouTube videos. Uh, I'm wondering like if this is a thing, like how you see the difference in how like a non-male guitarist might approach the guitar versus a male and like maybe how does that feminine energy translate into your music? Hmm. Or maybe this is a dumb question. I, it's a question I've never been asked before. That's cool. Um, do I hear a difference? Yes. Hearing, I mean, there's, I've met several female guitar players. I played a concert at NAM last year called the Women in Fingerstyle concert. Um, and we were all fingerstyle acoustic guitarists, all women, which was great. Um, Vicky Genfin, Kaki King, Meryl Anderson, Amber Russell, and others were there. So meeting all of them and hearing their music for the first time. I definitely heard a difference between the acoustic players that are kind of well-known now, and which are typically male, and they're very flashy. The men are kind of more flashy players. Mm-hmm. They use a lot of techniques. They play fast. They play very metal. They, <laughs> all of these things. The women definitely have a more, I don't know if it's feminine or just, just, more lyrical approach to the instrument songwriting is more of a thought there i don't know how to say this without being offensive but yeah it's like i don't want to say that women are better but like um (laughs) yeah i mean i'm not gonna argue (laughs) i i definitely do hear a difference i'll say that and um but i don't know if that's because they're women or because well well, i guess it could be i don't know that's that's hard to answer well, think about it, and then you can talk to um, Between Frets again. <laughs> um, rhythm is wildly important in your sound, thanks to the clicking of the Guitar Hero controller, your interest in hip-hop, and what seems like your desire to move and use every possible limb, except except for your singing voice, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Um, can you speak to rhythm, like why you love it so much and how you use it as an expression? I mean, I grew up with it. Everything we listened to around here in my house had some type of rhythmic quality. Um, I, it wasn't important to me when I first started playing, but I guess it was subconsciously. And now it's more of a conscious effort to incorporate rhythm, different rhythms into my uh, songs. It's funny to be asked that because I feel like guitar is a very rhythmic instrument. So naturally to me, it should have some type of rhythm involved. But a lot of guitar players, even fingerstyle players, don't really use guitar's rhythmic capability, um, which is weird to me. But I guess it's just something I grew up with. It's my mm. lineage pretty much. Um which is, I guess, different than most other acoustic guitar players. So that might be why my music sounds different. It it's just should be there. <laughs> I don't really know. It's, it's just a thing. <laughs> yeah, can we talk about how your new album, Urban Driftwood, allow you to explore and express your cultural heritage? Like when I first started thinking about my second album, I wasn't necessarily thinking about going that route specifically until 2020 happened and all of the political unrest happened and the police shootings and just the country was in chaos in general and I really kind of wanted to put a record out that showcased who I am and how I grew up and where I'm from and 
of my heritage, which I can't really think of another album in the quote unquote fingerstyle guitar canon or whatever you want to call it that does that. There's a lot of albums like, you know, John Fahey released albums and a lot of albums sound like him, but not many sound like something from my heritage, which it was really cool to release that. I guess I just wanted to, yeah, just show where I'm from. You said I'm proud to be able to musically join my experiences as a Black American playing this style of music with West African musical traditions. Yeah. It's my understanding that you learned Cora. I'm I'm an extreme beginner still, um, but yes, I am trying to teach myself something. So there's 21 strings. How many strings have you mastered? How <laughs> Six. <laughs> how many how many strings did I even use in Urban Driftwood or Jurabi? Um, eight. I didn't use many, <laughs> or maybe ten. I think it was ten. How did it feel to be able to um, express yourself um, in in that way? And how did it feel after that process? It was really refreshing. When I finished the demo for Urban Driftwood, which at that point didn't have a drummer on it, it was just like me kind of drumming along on my guitar to the main parts of the song. Um, I kind of thought, oh, I may have something here. This is really different and cool. But then when Amadou came on it and, and drummed, which he basically did that in two takes. Um, he's on both, the djembe? He's on the djembe and ka djembe, which is like a, a cajon djembe combination that he built. Um that was insane. Like, I definitely thought, wow, this is really... Is this even like a fingerstyle guitar record anymore? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? Are we doing it? Yeah, it was just really fun to explore that side of myself and that side of my playing because it was still pretty new to me. Like, I started trying to teach myself Cora in 2019, I think is when I got it. But really, it was like 2020 where I actually had time to practice and sit down and try to mm. write my own songs with it, which is kind of weird. To I didn't even, I don't really know how to play it still, and I'm writing my writing with it. But um, that's just how I am. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was definitely a breath of fresh air to be able to do that and get it recorded and and just yeah, it's definitely like the one track I'll listen to like of mine since I don't really listen to my own music that much. And pump but. some iron. Yeah, <laughs> I still definitely need to try that. I just cannot believe. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know, you gotta be slow and concentrate. And if this can actually make me work out, you may have saved my life with this because I'm. Oh yeah, so listen lazy. anytime. <laughs> so I think on your new record, Urban Driftwood, you worked particularly hard to express yourself lyrically through your music without using actual lyrics. Yeah, for sure. Um, which I hear you can sing, but you just don't. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm asking a question without asking a question. Yep. <laughs> um, what has that process been like to achieve that goal? And, and how do you see like the different elements of your playing speak to meaning? Cool, yeah. I Well, this record is definitely, I wanted to show my composition skills and just think more like songwriter than guitar player. Um, my first record was definitely... I was a songwriter too, but I was kind of more focused on guitar skills and just kind of introducing myself to the scene, I guess. But this record was definitely more, um, yeah, serious, compositional. I, I wanted to kind of raise the bar for myself. I guess I don't, I've never thought about like the different aspects of my playing and how it kind of 
relates to meaning. I guess just my overall playing style is very meditative and kind of melancholy in a way. Mm. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> like, what does it mean when you finish a song and then you like take a beat and you go, brum, bring? <laughs> is that what I do? <laughs> <laughs> you did it on do, your TED Talk. I do. Oh, man. Okay. Well, well it just seems like um, when somebody scores a touchdown and then they do like a little dance. Celebration. A little celebration. <laughs> like, that's right. I do. Honestly, that is kind of what it is. I do like to end my songs with like harmonics. I do that. But maybe that is what it is. I don't know. I guess it's just, I don't, it really depends on my mood um, and what I'm thinking about when I'm writing a certain whatever it is I'm writing. Like, I remember writing After the Storm, which was about the political unrest of 2020 and, and all of that. And definitely being in a kind of more thoughtful mood, which might be why that's one of the first songs I've really written that uses like overdubbing and looping and all of that in it. Um, or I guess I could compare that to when I wrote Swift Breeze, which was in high school, 2012, probably, I think is when I first wrote the framework of that song, which I was very into metal at that point still and kind of head rocking and, and angsty and all of that. So yeah, I think my playing, it really just depends on my mood and where my mind is at mm. that point. I want to hear more about the way that you process 2020 through making this album. So Yasmin, you've been a black person all your life. I have been. Um, you are a creative person who is able to, um, unlike most of us, is able to like process things through creativity and through art, thus giving you like a really, um, maybe like a, an advantage, a better understanding than, than a lot of people, which um, hmm. is really cool. And uh, I'm grateful that you're, uh, on the podcast, being able to talk about your process and talk about your artwork. Yeah. Um, in this particular instance, you went to a Black Lives Matter protest, mm -hmm. and some of the songs on the album you used to help you like process your feelings. Yeah. Um, about what was happening uh, after making this album, what did you learn about yourself um, within that like that sphere of being? Uh, being a black person in America in 2020? I learned that I care a lot more about that now than I did even a few years ago when I put out my first record. Um, I learned that I have a responsibility to care about that now more and a responsibility to voice my heritage, especially in a such a niche genre as this, which doesn't have a lot of voices like mine. I learned that it's okay to care about that and I shouldn't, it's not a burden. It's it's actually a really cool opportunity that I have. I've learned that I'm a more positive person than I thought I was. <laughs> Typically mm. I'm not the most positive person. Not saying I'm like pessimistic, but I'm not, I'm more of a realist I would say. I'm not like overly positive, but the album definitely morphed into something that was a lot more hopeful, a lot more positive than what I thought it would have been. Um, like if you told me 2020 was going to happen and like, like if you told me in 2018, like, oh, 2020 is going to suck. There's going to be so much stuff that happened and you're, it's going to be this and that. I would be like, wow, if I release an album about that, it's going to be horrible. It's going to sound super dark and super <laughs> like, you know, yeah, but it, dirge. yeah, 
it's it's it but it, it's not that it's the opposite pretty much which is definitely something i learned about myself i learned a lot but i think the most important thing is is just to embrace my you know, standing or or my um well i guess just embrace where i'm from and put it in my music more which was not really something i was thinking about consciously with any other body of work that i've released hmm. um that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited for you. That sounds like really, <laughs> really awesome. So we talked about um, the narrative arc in Urban Driftwood on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bandcamp did this really great article on you. Yeah. And talked about the running order is a reflection of her personal feelings as the year developed with a meditative suite of four tracks at the start representing that optimism yeah. that you were talking about. Um, and I want to know how do you cultivate peace and calm and how, how did you do that in 2020? I think having music to focus on was really the only reason I got through the year relatively intact. Um, (laughs) Definitely just putting my mind on something where I could be happy and 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 actually have a product like or like a, a thing to release and a thing to be proud of we call that content yes content there we go good content <laughs> i feel like a youtuber <laughs> good con- <laughs> good content um yeah that was definitely important for me last year um because if i wasn't really if i wasn't focusing on anything i don't know what i don't know what state of mind i would have ended the year on or with mm. but yeah, I guess I kind of just put my head down and, and focus on music, which is how I wrote the album so quickly. And that was the main thing. Nature plays a huge role on the album in its inspiration. Like mm-hmm. the song titles are nature theme, like sun showers, through the woods, after the storm. You're Also, I noticed that your recent promo pics have you in nature. Mm-hmm. Is that intentional? It is very intentional, yeah. Yeah. Um, Where did your affinity for the outside come from? And then what does it feel like to channel that through your music and through your the way that you're expressing yourself to the public? I guess I've always liked the outdoors. Um, I've always liked woodsy spaces or more nature oriented spaces, even within cities or urban areas. You can find uh, a park or a nature something there which like even for in the for the music video for um urban driftwood it was recorded in baltimore or shot in baltimore which is not really associated with having um any like natural spaces but um the director managed to find some really cool nature shots and and like verdant areas and greenery and stuff which was great and i guess I don't know. I the, the nature is definitely inspired, or the album's definitely inspired by nature, and that I it nature to me means calm. It means meditation. It means collecting my thoughts. Um, hmm. I guess the album for me is just like great hiking music. It's like it kind of reminds me of like whenever I go on a hike and I, I, just what would be playing in my head if I'm not listening to any music. Um, hmm. If that makes sense, yeah. Totally. Um, Urban Driftwood is such an interesting title for the record, and I could definitely draw my own conclusions. Um, 
but I would rather uh, hear about it from you. How did you land on that name? Actually, okay, so I didn't come up with the name. A fan of mine did because, what was this? I was having a song naming contest for, I think it was a song, Dragonfly? Yeah. And a fan came up with the name Urban Driftwood, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. Um, so I ended up using it for the title track and the album title itself. But um, I kind of morphed it into, it means several things to me. Um, urban, I kind of thought of as like a tongue-in-cheek type of thing because uh, like if you <laughs> if you hear an album called Urban Driftwood you may like assume there's beats on it or you or like or you know like 808s or so, I don't know what people <laughs> consider urban music um but it's I mean there are beats on it but it's not like a typical urban djembe beats yeah there's djembe beats kajembe like guitar beats tapshi beats but not like 808s and, and you know all that so that's kind of like a tongue-in-cheek thing and also I guess being a black artist I you kind of get lumped into an urban box, whether you're that or not, which is also a tongue-in-cheek thing. Basically, driftwood is like a piece of wood that kind of washes ashore. Um, it's filled with nutrients. Animals thrive off of it. It's very necessary for growth in various ecosystems. And I kind of related that to Black America. Um Black America can be an allegory or Driftwood could be an allegory for the black communities around the country and that we're kind of necessary for a lot of spaces. We help a lot of spaces thrive, but we're kind of seen as like a throwaway type of of thing, which, you know, Driftwood kind of is. So that's that. And it even relates to my guitar because my guitar is made out of a piece of Driftwood, like my personal custom guitar, but it's also very beautiful. So yeah, it's... It's also uh, like urban spaces versus rural spaces. Mm -hmm. um, you wouldn't expect, like I was saying before, you wouldn't expect to find na natural spaces in urban places, but you definitely can if you look a little bit. Even in D.C. where I was at all the time, there's a lot of beautiful parks there. Um, there's a lot of just kind of green spaces within the city. Um, it, it means a lot of, of things. <laughs> wearing something that pops yes. and often features some like very bright colors usually like gender neutral mm -hmm. um, but very sleek very styled thank you i try oh yeah <laughs> how do you see fashion as an extension of your expression i it that's a really good question i think i try to match my playing style with my clothes and appearance I guess my playing style is very kind of out of the box and I like to dress out of the box. And just, I just love color. I love kind of weird designs like shirt designs or whatever. I try to wear clothes from like black designers. Um, I do tend to wear gender neutral clothes just because they're more comfortable and they, to me, just look better than <laughs> typical, I guess, uh, mm -hmm. female attire. Just if it's comfortable on stage and colorful and looks nice on me, I'll wear it. Can you name some designers that you like? Yeah. Oh, for sure. So uh, my favorite's probably a brand called Diop. They're a Black-owned uh, clothing brand. They make this top I'm wearing actually right now is, is Diop, FYI. Um, so nice. Yeah, they have great, colorful 
patterns, um, kind of African and West African inspired um, fabrics they use. Uh, another one I like is I like some stuff by Stuza Clothing. I like some stuff by a Canadian company. Ooh, I may mess up the pronunciation. Poda Loop, I think it, it is. They have kind of like button up stuff. I like, uh, I don't know, skinny jeans. I love <laughs> cool socks. I like socks too. Um, Sockdrawer.com is where that's at. Shoes. I'm a shoe nut. Yeah, I could, I, yeah. <laughs> Clothes and um, just, yeah, I'm definitely like a fashion type. Your record came out in January and we're recording this interview in February. Yeah. And it's coming out in April when the world starts to, uh, well, at least the Northern Hemisphere starts to experience spring. But I've got to say, like, being able to, like, listen to your music and, like, look at your outfits and watch your videos and all your your outfits. And um, Mm -hmm. it's been, like, so helpful and such a good reminder that, like, color is so important and, like, bright colors for me are, are so important when it comes to, like, happiness. So it's same. I mean, job. it's like, why wear gray? Like, I don't know. To me, just wearing bright colors is just, it's a thing. I mean, it, I don't know what else to wear. It just makes me happy <laughs> and it just pops out and it, I don't know. It, it's, yeah, I agree with that. Thank you. It's more fun. Also, I want to hear more about like fashion versus function when it comes to playing the way you do, like some outfits must not work when you're like moving around. Yeah, um, awkward slash funny story. Um, when I was in high school at a place called Governor's School, I was studying classical guitar there, and we had our like end of the program recital, and I wore a dress, and that was not a good idea, because <laughs> you have to put your foot up on like the footstool, and like the dress and doing that is not <laughs> you can <laughs> see a bit too much. Lesson learned. (laughs) So, yeah, I learned to wear pants or shorts on stage. Um, And definitely, like, I can't wear anything slippery. I can't wear certain fabrics don't work. Um, Like, pants, I definitely... Crushed velvet might not work. Yeah, that that that's a no. Yeah, <laughs> the guitar <laughs> would slip off your lap. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a few scares. It hasn't happened completely yet. Knock on wood. But I have had a few instances of having a whole thing before it slipped out. But yeah, definitely like pants fabrics that are not slippery, um, shirts that are breathable because I typically play like an hour or something sets or whatever. Which I don't want to wear something like too tight or you know. Um, I like wearing short sleeves when I play. I don't really wear long sleeves too often just because it gets in the way of guitar- the actual playing. Shoes are less important, but I mean, as long as they look good and match what I'm wearing. <laughs> well, do you get, are you always wearing those tap shoes? No. Some shows I don't. If I'm not using the tap shoes, I'll just wear whatever shoes I come in with. So I just make sure they look decent. I see you wearing like a leather uh, Converse all-star style shoe. Yeah. Yeah, I have, I have like these iridescent Converse that like change colors and various lighting. Um, oh yeah, I have leather Converse. I have a lot of leather boots. I have a lot of Oxford style shoes too that I like wearing. I feel um, like you owe it to your Instagram followers to share 
your different types of shoes because I imagine your collection is really nice. Yeah, I mean, it is. I try. But I mean, it's like I have, I don't have a ton of shoes, but what I do have is like quality. I may do like a, I don't know, like a closet tour or something. I have had people ask me like what I'm wearing a lot. So I don't know. That's a good idea. Maybe. Listen, I've got <laughs> lots of ideas. Um, <laughs> before I let you go, will you do the lightning round? Okay. All right. Sure. Yasmin Williams, here we go. What was the first song you learned on the guitar? Uh, Iron Man. What is your karaoke song? Ooh, uh, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, weirdly enough. Dogs or cats or something else? Uh, something else. <laughs> what is your coffee order? Nothing, I don't drink coffee. Ooh. <laughs> first celebrity crush? Uh, I don't really have a, nah. <laughs> I don't have nah. a celebrity crush. Pass. Celebrities it's... are gross. I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Who is the nicest musician you've ever met? Oh, that's a high can't one person. Just one. You gotta choose. Uh, 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 lightning. Uh, 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 Daniel Bachman's really nice. <laughs> First album you bought with your own money? Um, oh, The Pains of Being Pure at Heart is the band, but I don't remember the album. Ooh, that's like a super hip first album. Really? <laughs> right? A lot of res- <laughs> I respect you. Uh, first concert. Uh, it was a Muse concert. Last book you read? Octavius uh, Butler's Kindred. Flying or Invisibility? Invisibility, for sure. Mm, Alright. <laughs> uh, Star Trek or Star Wars? Neither. Okay. <laughs> um, this is the last one. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Probably Asheville, North Carolina. OMG, I'm going there next week. Oh my god, take me with you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there's uh, we have rented a big house. You know, you are what? welcome. I yeah. love it. Oh, it's so gorgeous there. <sighs> Such good food, music, everything. <laughs> I'm really excited. I cannot stand it. But by the time this podcast has, comes out, I will have already gone. And I had a great time. Gosh, stop rubbing it in. <laughs> Ugh. Jasmine <laughs> Williams, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. It was so awesome to learn more about you and uh, and, and talk to you. And, and congrats on the new record. Thank you. This was definitely like top five, top three, maybe best interview. This was fun. Top three. This is top three. I mean, I'm not Brittany Howard, so (laughs) that was pretty cool. And I will accept slot number two. (laughs) Thank you. You're, You're quite welcome. Basic Folk This Week, produced by John Nungesser. Alex Stanton of Townspeople composes our music. Basic Folk is proud to be on the American Songwriters Podcast Network. I'm Cindy Howes. I host this podcast, and you can find all of the episodes wherever you got this podcast or at my website, cindyhouse.net. Thank you for listening, and please share if you enjoyed it. And I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye.